Well, for this lunchtime, I want to ask you guys a question. Who is speaking each Thursday? Who is speaking each Thursday? You might think that's a pretty pretentious way of trying to draw attention to myself. No, that's not what I mean. I mean, who is speaking when we open the Bible each Thursday? Or on Tuesday mornings when we look at Romans together or Thursday mornings in the Bible study groups, who is speaking? I guess you might say there's a variety of views. If you ask the, the man on the street, uh, most of them perhaps would say, uh, no opinion, uh, the Bible is irrelevant, a voice of a bygone era. But perhaps if you call yourself a Christian, I hope you might agree with me that the Bible is God's word. God is speaking. But maybe more specifically for the author of Hebrews, it's not just God who speaks, but Jesus. I look down to chapter 2, verse 3. Chapter 2, verse 3. It was declared at first by the Lord, that's Jesus, the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. I noticed the chain of command. It was first declared, the great salvation was declared at first by Jesus, God made flesh, and spoken to them, to the apostles. So it's Jesus' words via his apostles. But here's the issue. Uh, why do we then struggle to, to listen? Why do we tend to listen, struggle to listen to God's word or to Jesus' words? Granted, that's not true all the time, but if you are anything like me, you know, when life gets busy, when there are business and stresses at work, uh, listening to Jesus can often be the first thing that drops um, out of your schedule. Uh, it's crowded out by a variety of other voices, and it's easy to get dull of hearing. So why? Uh, why is that the case? You know, this whole issue of uh, struggling to listen, being dull of hearing, uh, it's not a unique struggle. And we might think that the original readers of Hebrews probably face the same struggle as we do. You see, for them, life wasn't easy. And they faced lots of persecution back then in the first century. Uh, the readers were probably uh, Christians in Rome, uh, roughly around AD 60. And they faced overt persecution. Uh, we read later in the letter of the Hebrews, some of them lost property. Some of them faced public humiliation. Or some face real subtle pressures. Yes, in the workplace, uh, calling yourself a Christian, you get scoffed at. Or meeting with other Christians, you, you earn yourself that really weird look. And so for these Christians back then, uh, the temptation to drift was real. Uh, they felt the real temptation to drift. And these Christians, they, they weren't recent converts. Uh, perhaps, like some of us, they could be thoroughly orthodox in their faith. Yet, they really struggle to listen. And so what do you say to someone who is at, at the risk of drifting away or really struggling to, to listen to the Bible? Uh, what do you say? And the artist's the, the medication uh, is this. It's the letter to the Hebrews. The whole letter is to warn against drift, to warn against falling away, to warn against shrinking back from Jesus. And the encouragement is to, to draw near, to listen. And in one sense, what he, what he tells them in this letter is nothing more than they already know, that Jesus is speaking. But in another sense, he is telling them more than they know. You see, because the Jesus who is speaking to them 
and to us today is much bigger than we think. See, the author, he wants to expand our view of Jesus to show him for who he really is. You see, because the more we realize who is speaking, the more we will pay attention. Because who is speaking is the son who has become the son. If you're following the handout, we're on our first point. It's the son who has become the son. Or more specifically, it is the eternal son who has become the Davidic son. Uh, look to chapter one, verse one with me. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Long ago, God spoke by a whole variety of ways, a vision, dreams, burning bushes to prophets. And for the prophet, um, it's his voice that the people of Israel needed to hear. Deuteronomy 18 says, it is whoever does not listen to the prophet's words will face judgment. And so if you're an ancient Israelite and you have a choice between the prophet's word or to listen to your Twitter or TikTok feed or to the Financial Times or the Wall Street Journal versus the prophet's word, the answer is always listening to the prophet. But here our author is saying something much more final has happened. I look to verse 2 again. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And the tenses of has spoken, see that communicates something, uh, the sense of completion, real finality, definitiveness, decisiveness. He has spoken. And so there's nothing more than what he has already said to his son. The son is the climax of revelation from the father. So you need to think of two ages. The first age, the long ago age, God spoke through the prophets through many ways. But in the second age, the last days, the age we are in, it is the son through which the father is speaking through. And so the son is the final word from the father. Already in the, in the first two verses of the book of Hebrews, uh, it's helpful for us to consider what the author is saying. If you want to hear God, you need to listen to the Son. If you want to understand who He is, you need to listen to the Son. Uh, the Son is the fullest revelation of the Father. Some of you might know Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, uh, who claimed to have a vision from God um, about gold tablets somewhere in North America. Well, he's wrong. Uh, it's the son who is the final revelation. Again, the claim is made by Muhammad hearing a vision from Allah. Again, he is wrong. It's the son who is the final revelation. But more than that, the son, he's not only the son, you see. Uh, he is also the son who has became the eternal son. Uh, there's too much to unpack in the next few verses, but let me try to point out the two categories of describing how the author of Hebrews describes the Son. Uh, firstly, from verse 2 onwards, it's timeless descriptions about the eternal Son. I look to verse 2 again. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. He is the owner 
through whom he also created the world. The Son is the originator of all things. Verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God. If you imagine the, the rays from the sun, the sun is like the rays from the Father and the exact imprint of his nature. The Son, he is the perfect representation of the Father. And lastly, he upholds the universe by the words of, of his power. Uh, the words of the Son, uh, it's his words that keep the sun and moon in place. And you notice that these attributes, they are attributes always attached to the sun. Uh, it's permanent truths about him. But notice the second category of descriptions. Uh, look down again to verse 3b. And what he's describing is something that has happened in history. There's an in-history description of the sun. Verse 3b. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God on the majesty on high. Notice the phrase set down at the right hand of God. It's a direct quotation from Psalms 110. That's also there in verse 13 of our passage today. And the language of set down is a description about a future king to come through the line of David. And what the author is saying here is that the eternal son didn't just stay in heaven, but he came down, he died, he rose again, made purification for sin, sat down at God's right hand as king, fulfilling the prophecy of the Davidic son. We've got the diagram in the handout. It's a U-shaped journey from heaven down to earth and back up again as the eternal son. And the thing to know about the book of Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews is unpacking this journey that the son makes from heaven down to earth and back up again. And over the next few weeks, we'll see how this plays out in the rest of the letter. Well, the, the Ukraine president, Zelensky, um, has been winning much public acclamation because he seems to not just be a figurehead, but he's someone who gets into the mess. He dons on an army uniform and he's with the people on the ground. It's quite, quite well-known words, I guess, these days. He's reported uh, when he was offered evacuation by the US troops, uh, he said to them, I don't need a ride, I just need ammunition. And so the willingness for him to be part of the mess has earned him respect from the people, I guess, across the world. But think about Jesus. He is the creator. He is the originator. He upholds the universe by the words of his power. And that alone demands respect. But the son is not only static. He's not just up there. He comes down. He is part of the mess. He dies, rises again, and goes up to God's right hand. And this is the son who is speaking. It's not just the eternal son, but also the Davidic son. And so in just the first four verses, the author, he's trying to expand our view of the person of Jesus. See, Jesus, he is not just the moral teacher. He's not just the, the guy who cuddles lambs. Uh, it's not just the Jesus who died for my sins. It's much bigger than that. It is the eternal son who has become the Davidic son. Well, let me tell you a story. A few days ago, I was sitting on the sofa and I was um, just bubbing. I was watching the highlights of Liverpool versus Chelsea in the Kaboro Cup. And the thing, I was there because there were dishes to wash in the kitchen and I was pretending that they didn't exist. But all of a sudden, there was a bright flash. 
And would you believe it? Before my very eyes, there was an angel standing in front of me. So bright, I had to cover my eyes. And with a booming loud voice, he said, Joel, get off the sofa, go and wash the dishes now. I mean, what did I do? Uh, obviously, I, I listened to him. I immediately uh, switched off my iPad, got off the sofa, and went to the kitchen to do the dishes. Okay, admittedly, that's not all true. Uh, the angel didn't appear, but the dishes and that part is definitely true. But what's the point of this uh, silly illustration? If you were visited by an angel, will you listen to him? Well, I bet you would. You see, the angels are the, the ones who stand in God's own presence. They are God's servants, his messengers. And so when he comes with a message directly from God, get out of the sofa, go and wash the dishes, you listen. Uh, you will listen. And that's the, the point that the author is trying to make in our second point today. See, if you agree that you will listen to an angel, it's much more important that you listen to the sun. And that's our second point to hand out. Listen to the sun, who is superior to angels. Verse 15 to 14, I think, are really fascinating verses. We don't have all times to, to go in, but we are hearing two personal conversations between God the Father to angels and God the Father to his son. It's a private conversation that we're invited to listen. And notice how God speaks to his angels. I look at verse 7. Of the angel, angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. You see, no doubt the description of angels there of a flame of fire, it's an exalted description of angels. But a second conversation is far more fascinating. And what you need to imagine is the, the father in heaven on his throne, and then he turns to his son who is sitting on his right hand, and he, he says to him, look at verse 8. But of the son, to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Do you notice what just happened? The father, God the father, speaks to the son and calls him God. Calls him a king and calls him a king with a kingdom. Uh, the God the father, he, he calls the son God. But not just that, notice what else he says. Look at verse 10 as well. And this is the father speaking to the son. And you, Lord, laid the foundation on the earth in the beginning, and in the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Again, do you notice what God the Father is saying to his son? You, Lord, a Lord. You are the one who is in the beginning, um, but not just the beginning, but also the end. He is the creator and also the judge. Verse 11, they will perish, but you remain. And so this exalted description of the son, God, king, Lord, the beginning and the end, judge and creator, they are attributes only reserved for God. Yet the father, he recognizes the divinity of the son by speaking to him. 
And so here's a comparison between angels and the sun. Uh, it's comparing angels and their maker. It's like comparing the soup that you had for lunch with Steve, the guy who made them. It's no comparison. It's no comparison. Uh, the sun is superior to the angels. The angels, they are elevated figures. They stand in the divine courtroom. But the sun, he walks through the courtroom and takes a seat at the right hand of God. The sun is superior to the angels. But there's one last point to flag up. Look at verse 13. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Again there, I hope you notice the language of sitting in my right hand comes up again. And that's also a direct quotation from Psalms 110. And Psalms 110, here's a bit of trivia or tidbit, Psalms 110 is the most quoted verse in the New Testament. But arguably as well, it is the key Old Testament verse that a whole of Hebrews is built on. So take notice of that over the next coming weeks. Whenever you see this language of set down at the right hand of God, um, the, the author is going to expand Psalms 110 and expound on it. Uh, so do look out for that in the future weeks. But just to come back to see what we've been thinking about this week, who are we listening to um, each week? Well, it's the Son. The Son who is the eternal Son, who's become the Davidic Son, but also the Son who is superior to angels. And so the, the reality of what has been happening, I guess, over the past 10 minutes or so, is that the sun was speaking. You see, far more weighty than an angel appearing in this room or an angel appearing on a Zoom call, uh, the sun, uh, the sun who is at God's right hand, was speaking. But what does it mean for us? Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we heard, lest we drift from it. See, the author, he is trying to grab his readers by the collar to shake them, to tell them to listen, to pay attention. Look at verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape? if we neglect such a great salvation. But you notice the logic of what the author is saying? If we agree that angels should be listened to, we must pay closer attention to the sun. But perhaps what he's saying is a bit more, it's a bit sharper than that. Um, I've got a slide that was meant to appear on TV, but it's not working today. Uh, it will appear on the screen in the call. Um, it's, if you've been to the British Museum, uh, there is, um, what do you call it? It's a relief of the siege of Lachish. Um, it comes from, there you go, if you can see it. Okay. Um, it's room, I think, 10B in the British Museum. David, you might correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. <laughs> um, and so what that depicts is the, is the exile of the Northern tribe um, back in 700 BC, when the Syrian king Sennacherib came to the Judean city of Lachish uh, to take the Northern tribe into captivity. And so I think that's what the author is saying right there in verse 2. The message declared by angels, what is he referring to? He's referring to the law, the Mosaic covenant. Uh, Stephen, in his speech in Acts 7, he says to the Pharisees, the law delivered by angels. And so the point that the author is saying, the law that was delivered to the nation of Israel 
received a just retribution, and the nation of Israel sent into exile and cased in the British Museum um, in, in history. What more um, do we have to listen to the sun? The angels delivered the law. Their message proved reliable. How much more do we need to listen to the sun? Verse three again. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And so when we struggle to listen, uh, what the author does is he elevates our view of the person of the sun. He makes us reckon with the voice coming from the right hand of God. And so that helps us to understand who is speaking each week. It's not ultimately here to understand technical, technicalities in the Bible or to make interesting observations. We are here to listen to the voice of the sun. And for what's worth, uh, I, I want to encourage you to make Thursday lunchtimes a priority, uh, be it in person or online. And obviously, there are good reasons to, um, to make it, and you can decide that for yourself. But it's worth remembering who is speaking each week. Uh, it's the voice that upholds the universe. And that's a voice definitely worth listening to. So ultimately, my point is not to, uh, to encourage you just to make it a Thursday, but it's really about your whole direction in life. I mean, who do you listen? You think about the society today. We, there's a whole cacophony of voices that is trying to grab attention. We have social media, things we hear online. But ultimately, who do we listen to? And so we close. If you are drifting away, can I encourage you to listen to the sun? If you're feeling weary, keep listening to the sun. And if you have lost your way, come back and listen to the sun.